You are now listening to Me and the Market Goliath podcast. Welcome to another episode of Me and the Market Goliath podcast. I'm your host, Calvin. Today, I welcome Rafael Takuchianu, who was my university roommate, to join us all the way from the UK to talk about investing in art. I'm personally intrigued to know whether it is worth it for retail investors to invest in art. And this is such a wonderful opportunity to have Raphael touch on the recent craze with non-fungible tokens and how this shift from physical to digital art is benefiting the art business industry. Just a quick bio on Raphael. Raphael is one of the few people I know who is knowledgeable in the business art industry and have earned degrees in the US, UK, and Europe, who graduated with an undergraduate degree in business and entrepreneurship, as well as art history. He has a master's degree in art business, as well as a postgraduate degree in art expertise and art law. From a career perspective, Raphael has worked across essentially all major sectors in the art business world, including working for international leading auction house, art advisories, and his experience in curating exhibitions, art logistics, and digital art marketplace. He is the director of a leading French art gallery in Paris and Italy and started his own art dealership for collectors and investors. Raphael, it's so great to be catching up with you after all these years. I would say college days, living and going to business school together, and running a student business organization were definitely the golden days. Raphael, without further ado, could you give our audience an intro? Hey, Kelvin. Thank you so much for the introduction. Thanks for having me and thank you to, to all your listeners. I think it's a great way for us to, to reconnect as well. So I'm an art dealer, if you want to put it in a traditional sense. I like to call myself more of an art collection builder. So I basically help young and experienced art collectors and enthusiasts start, grow, and build their art collection. I founded my art gallery and dealership called Eros and Agape in London. And I'm in the process of building an online platform and gallery, which will focus on young and first art collectors. And that platform will call Candid House. So basically how I got here, I was born and raised in Paris, always curious a lot more about American entrepreneurship, the American dream, and also always had a pronounced passion for art and art history. It brought me to move to the US and pursue my undergrad, which is where I did the business and art history bachelor's and degrees. Then I moved to London to pursue the master's in art business and jumpstart my career. Rounded off the education portion with the postgrad in art expertise and art law. I've then, you know, kind of covered all the the elements of the art world because I was very curious about understanding all major actors and sectors. So auction houses, art advisories, digital startups, art marketplaces when that was booming, historical art gallery, and then what I'm doing now. This is a question that I ask all my guest speakers. What does investing mean to you, especially investing in art? Yeah, so investing in art, I love to use the word placements rather than investment. For the purpose of the podcast, I'll keep using the word investment. But to me, the word placement is very accurate when you're investing in art because I see art as a sustainable investment when you look at it mid to long term, which to me seems like more of a placement of money where you put it and you see the value of the asset grow over time rather than a quick flip or you know quick in and out. There's two ways to see art investing in my mind. The more traditional way, which is you're collecting, right? You're art collecting, you're building an art collection, you can have a specific focus or you know have uh, follow specific metrics for your collection. And that can be potential resale, but it's also something you enjoy at home, something you look at every day, traditional sense where you're really you know enjoying everything that encompasses owning art. And then you have the second way of art investing, which is pure investment. So you know, I have collectors of mine who give me an envelope of a certain amount and build a portfolio of artworks for them that we acquire on the market. 
And after a certain amount of time, it can be one year, it can be two year, depends on the focus on that portfolio or investment strategy, we resell for, for the investment. You know, they can still come around and see the artwork, but they're not living with it. They're not, not experiencing the emotional connection to the artwork. They're really doing it purely for investment. So I think that to me are the two traditional types of investing. That's kind of how I see art investing. There are so many questions about investing in art that I've never encountered because mainly because I don't know too much about it. I think this is a great time for you to convince me why I should give investing art a second thought. If you ask a handful of people about this topic, they probably don't know where to start. Could you tell us more about the economics of investing in art? and how demand and supply is derived? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a fantastic question. You know, the first part of it, how do I convince someone that's never done art investing to start looking at art investing? And I think the, the most amazing part of it is such a fantastic and fun diversification strategy. You're not only investing in just in placing money in an asset, but you're, it, it is an artwork. You're investing in culture, you're investing in art history, you're investing in individual talent and an artist, you're investing in something that's tangible, that's sometimes aesthetically pleasing, or at least probably in aesthetically pleasing to you. You're investing in both the present and the future of preservation and appreciation of cultural heritage. You can invest in young, exciting contemporary artists. You can invest in overlooked artists in art history that are to be rediscovered and be part of that rediscovery, bring them back to the forefront of the market. And honestly, it's just artists seeing amazing big returns on mid to long-term investments. Even if for people who never tend, you know, intended to do art investment, they're seeing their art collection that they started when they were 30, when they're 50, all of a sudden they're sitting on a lot more art assets that they thought they'd have at that time. There's really great surprises with art investing, and there's an amazing emotional aspect as well that you get for investing in, in artists and investing in, in culture, really. And then the economics of investing in art, so the demand and supply element of it, I think you have to describe a little bit of the art market to understand that. So there's two real vectors to the art market. There's the private market and the public market. So the public market is the auction house. It's a sale on one moment, one day at one moment in time. Whatever the bidders are willing to pay at that exact moment in time is the value of that art. You have the private market, which is why you would see in a traditional art gallery. So you walk in the gallery and you ask the price of an artwork. And that's the value of the artwork that's set by that dealer, but it also is set because of all the comparables on the market. So it's a bit more of a of a concrete value than the public market, which is done really on that moment. Like what that artwork is, is the value for the people bidding on it at that moment in time. And in the private market, you have two markets. You have the primary market and the secondary market. The primary market is directly from the artist or the gallery representing the artist. So it's the first time that one piece of art is getting to the market. You're the first person to ever own that piece of art. The secondary market is every time that one work is going to go back on the market. And so there's a difference in, in how those works, which we can get into. But that's basically the, the way the art market works. And the demand and supply element varies on whichever market you're on. That's very interesting. I think investing can be seen or described as something based on perception, right? We, we see, for example, investing in stocks depends on market sentiment or how people feel about the economy. Many would argue that art, in, in a way, is subjective rather than objective. How do you see that? Art in terms of aesthetic and what one finds visually appealing is itself subjective. But in terms of an asset class as a collectible or an investment opportunity, you know, it's so governed by metrics that are not subjective. This is where I think a specialist in the field is very beneficial to someone who's interested in collecting and investing, especially to get significant returns over time. You have to look at metrics. And some of the metrics that I can think about, which can influence the potential value of an artwork outside of the subjectiveness is the importance of the artwork in art history, for example. 
the provenance. So does it come from a, an important collection? Who's collecting the artists? Are there collectors out there that, that are quite outspoken about the artist? Has the artist been exhibited in museums or institution? How much work there is on the market, the scarcity of it. There's an, an overflow of, you know, like every supply and demand. If there's an, an, a, an overflow of hot supply, it can be a negative thing if there's more demand than supply. The current trend, I think that's something that's very important in the art market as well. It's uh, what people are looking into. A very simple example of that could be, you know, are people more into figurative art right now or are they more into abstract art right now? Is the market looking at a specific area and, you know, a specific location in the world where art is, is being collected from at the moment, you know, specific to a region, for example? All those metrics, you know, are very objective at that moment in time when you're looking into art collecting. And that's where, you know, I think like every other business, you need someone who knows the market and to guide you a little bit in that investment. What, what are the trends right now? You know, what are the specific metrics for this artist? Where has he been? Who's collecting him? You know, all the insider info. Like any, you know, like if you go to, you know, your real estate broker and you're looking to buy a house, right? What, what are the areas that are booming right now? What are people you know, easily buying, you know, you have to look at that. And that's like any other asset to me. I want to go back to sort of your response on how to sort of get more information into the value of a piece of artwork. Would you say that, you know, investing in art is for everyone? Or do you sort of need, as you mentioned, maybe an expert to provide you into insights into the value, the history of that piece of art? Yeah, it's a great follow-up question. I don't think those two are, you know, mutually exclusive. I think it can be for everyone. At the same time, it's it's always good to have, you know, a guide, right, for everything. You know, when it comes to changing a light bulb in your house, it's very easy to do. But once you need to look at your electricals, you know, you need an electrician. And same thing, you're doing your accountancy. You, everyone can go on QuickBooks or TurboTax and start doing their their taxes. But when you you have a business or a financially savvy business. You probably hire an accountant or you have one in-house. It's a bit the same thing with our investment. Everyone can do it and everyone can dabble in it. I definitely encourage, you know, the more amount of people possible to look into it. You know, once you start taking it a bit seriously, I think it's always good to have the guidance. And you know, that's what we're trying to do with Candid House, which is the, the project that I'm working on now, is trying to bring that information to the most amount of people possible. Get anyone who has an interest and the curiousness to look into art investing give them the best tools to do it. Do you think the art investing world is currently overlooked because of people not having the information or the literacy to understand the value in investing in art? Do you think art business industry in general is undervalued? Absolutely. Yes, I believe so. I think there is, because of the nature of it, there's a lack of education. I mean, you know, it's not every day that you can look into art investing. You have to be curious to, to really get into it. And many people are, are not aware. They look at art as, as an expense or something they put on the wall. They don't really see all the advantages in art collecting, not even art investing, but just the pure, the pure advantage of art collecting itself. When you have an art collection, you can do, you know, first of all, you have tax breaks. For, for art collecting. You have, you can use your art as, as leverage for loans. You can have art-backed, what we call art-backed loans. And the world of art is just super exciting. Going to art fairs, meeting artists, going to studios, you know, the way it's going digitally, which I'm sure we'll, we'll touch upon, but there's so many exciting ways to get involved in the art world. And I think it seems like a daunting thing to do. I think, it, you know, people are like, oh, the art world, I'm not, not so sure about it. But honestly, it's like, it's such a fun thing once you get into it. The barriers to entry are, I think, misleadingly 
big, but they're not. They're, they're really not. There's no barrier to entry. You want to buy a piece of art. You want to go to an artist studio. You want to buy an, uh, an artwork for a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks. If you're choosing an artist that's working hard, that's well represented, that potential artwork that you're buying just for pleasure is worth times 10 in a couple of years. Again, it depends what, you know, how you're investing in art. Are you creating a collection for enjoyment and investment or are you purely looking at returns? But either way, there's amazing things to be done with very little budget. There's amazing things to be done with very large budgets, but it is a very accessible market. It just takes curiosity to look into it and a bit of guidance to start. I want to drill down on the associated costs with investing in physical art. What are the costs that are we talking about? Let's say a retail investor do decide to invest in art. Yeah, it's a really good question. There are some associated costs. I think, again, there's a misconception that they're higher than they actually are. The basic things I can think of is when you buy a piece of art, most of the time you have some shipping cost when you acquire it to get it to you. You have the framing cost when you, if you want it to get framed or, or you want to frame it. Any potential conservation costs or does the work need to be restored or, you know, does it, be, does it need to be reframed, things like that. But again, those are, you know, compared to the value of the artwork, they're, they are minimal. Then there's the insurance cost, which if you're a young art collector and you have a couple pieces, most of the time that goes into your home insurance. So it's not an extra insurance that you need to get. It just, it's like your, you know, your jewelry or anything like that it just gets built in your home insurance. But it does become a cost when you go into a serious collection and you need a specific insurance. If you buy at auction, you're going to have the, the premium to pay. That's about 25 to 30%, depending on the auction house. So that's a, a cost when you buy at auction. And if you decide to keep the work outside of your home, then you have the storage fees. That all depends on where you're storing it, if it's a specific art storage or if it's, you know, a normal storage place. But, you know, most of the investors that I work with either own the art and have it at home. Most of them have them in their home insurance. So the associate costs are, are still quite low. Or they trust me to hold the art for them. And, you know, I have a space. All in all, it's, it's pretty minimal compared to, to what people think it is. I'm just curious to know, let's say there's a piece of artwork that is venerated by a lot of people and that piece of artwork gets damaged because of, you know, transporting that piece of art from point A to point B. How much of the value would depreciate if there is a slight crack to the piece of the artwork? If the work is conserved, right? So if the, the restoration to it is done properly, you will not lose any value. It's just bringing back the, the work to its original state which, you know, seems again, quite daunting, but you have expert conservators, you know, specialized in that. It happens to, to us all the time. I mean, one of the, actually, one of the really fun things to do, you know, is sometimes in auctions, you'll find a work that is a bit damaged, that's being sold as a bit damaged. And, you know, people who are not aware will shy away from bidding on it, or, you know, even in the gallery, they'll shy away from buying it. But that's where the opportunity lies, right? You get to you can get a piece of art for a better price because, you know, as you say, dinged up or cracked, and you bring it to an expert. You bring it to someone who knows how to bring it back to its normal original state. And, and all of a sudden, the value of the art is back to where it should be. Um, so that's where that's another part of it that gets really interesting is you can find these opportunities as well. But all in all, I mean, most damage in art can be dealt with by a professional and brought back to the normal state, which, you know, all in all brings it back to the normal value of it. I want to sort of talk about, you know, one of the drawbacks with investing in art. I think the other drawback, it would be liquidity, right? Being able to sell your piece of artwork the next day, for example. Can you take us through the process? Because I know selling a piece of art 
might take a lot longer than one would expect. For example, like stock investing, you could buy a stock today and you could sell it tomorrow. I think liquidity is definitely one of the concerns that people that are interested in investing in art would think about. What are your thoughts on that? As I started you know, in the podcast saying, I think the best way to enjoy you know, full fulfillment and full returns, the highest potential returns in art is, is to hold it from mid to long term. You know, the returns you can get on artwork when you do it right, you know, you buy an artist, I'm giving you an example just for just kind of to put it in practice. But if you buy an artist that, you know, you buy a work from an artist at 5,000 USD today, ends up that, you know, some really big collectors and a museum and a big gallery start getting interested. The museum acquires the work, the gallery starts representing, and the collection publicly open, acquires the work and puts it in the media. All of a sudden, the artist is kind of in the spotlight and your work was, you know, you bought two years ago for, or five years ago for 5K. All of a sudden, it's being sold at 200 in an art fair. Those, to me, are the real adventures in, in investing in art. That's the potential return that you can get. If you do it for, for a quick buck, and I'm not sure it's the best industry to do that. I don't see it in terms of liquidity, per se, because to me, when I, you know, if there's an artwork that I do want to, to sell quickly, there are ways to do it. And it, you know, if you decide that you want to sell an artwork and you, know, you want to part with it, I think in, in the next two weeks or three weeks, you can honestly sell it. Whether it's by going to an auction house and getting putting it into a, an auction or you know doing it privately, it's not a daunting and long process to, to to sell an artwork. It's not as liquid as pushing on a button and sell, but it's you know it's not as long as selling your your real estate either. It's kind of this lovely in between where you can still do a quick sale, but at the same time, I think the whole advantage of the art market is being able to to identify the trends, to collect early. And to to see you know those financial returns on the mid to long term. What what are the commission or transaction fees are, are we talking about? I'm curious to know. Obviously, you probably need a middle person to help you sell the art. How much of the margin are these parties getting from selling a piece of art? Yeah, so that's a bit of the the unspoken part of of the market, but I think it's interesting for everyone to know it. Honestly, it really depends the dealer you're dealing with. It really depends on the intermediary you're going through. An auction house will take up to 10% of the seller's fee. So, you know, you're a seller, you want to sell something, you know, you end up selling something 100K, they'll take about 10% of that. You know, sometimes they waive it when they really want the work or they have, you have a good relationship with them and you sell with them often. They'll, uh, they'll compromise smaller fees, but zero to 10. Dealer might might take whatever you agree with him. So it's a contract that you do with your dealer and go to up to 20% if the dealer is really good and you want him to, to sell very quickly. And, you know, it can, it can be a fee up to 20%. Most of the times between five and 10. But again, that's all more or less in your control as the seller on the buyer end, it's a bit different. But if you sell your artwork, I think you, you are in control of how much you can give to your intermediary. And if you are dealing with a good intermediary, you will take whatever you agree to do. You know, like it, it needs to be very transparent. It needs to be very comfortable for you as the seller. And it has to be fair for the person who's doing the work. I think there's that possibility of maybe a lot of retail investors are interested into investing in art company stock. And I know that you sort of run your own art business. What are the sort of associated costs that you have to deal with running a business in the art industry? Like, what do you have to think of? Do you have to hire a lot of different people in order to sell or trade 
a piece of art or even like host an exhibition to get potential investors to invest in the pieces of art? Like what are the costs that you deal with? Yeah, that's a really clever question. As holder of the art, either on consignment, so for our collectors or for ourselves, if we did buy the work itself, the main thing for us is security of the artwork. So we make sure that, you know, we have insurance on all the works, which is, you know, one of the main costs and, you know, the security system that protects you. We make sure that everything's stored appropriately. Talk, talking about like room temperature, low direct sunlight on some of the works that are a bit more, more fragile. Those are the main things you have to worry about when you're uh, when you're in art business is to make sure that the works are held in the best possible way. Other associated costs are any like any other business. There's nothing different from accounting fees and your legal fees and everything that goes with it. But but to me, the main difference is extra cost that we get is definitely the, the protection of the artwork because that's the most important part of it. I want to get your thoughts on the topic of NFTs, uh, non-fungible tokens. For those who are unfamiliar with NFTs, they are unique crypto tokens that are managed on a blockchain. The blockchain acts as a decentralized ledger that tracks the ownership and transaction history of each NFT, which is coded to have a unique ID and other metadata that no other token can replicate. Some of most eyeballing NFT transactions include the famous 9 cat GIF sale of 600,000 US dollars. Similarly, the NBA's highest selling NFT was of a LeBron James highlight reel, which sold for 200,000 US dollars. To cap this off, Last week, an NFT digital collage known as Every Days, the first 5,000 days, which was created by this digital artist called Beeple, was sold for nearly 70 million US dollars at Christie's. Raphael, how do you see this recent craze with NFTs as opposed to investing in physical art? Do you see that these two types of art investing would clash or overlap? To answer the second part of your question, no, I don't think they clash. I think they're complementary, if anything, or they can coexist very well. You know, the NFTs and non-fungible token, it's kind of what I was saying with the trends earlier. That is, you know, the trend right now, right? It's what everyone's talking about. It's on every news outlet is, you know, the big sale of one NFT at a leading auction house. And that's, you know, it's the, it's the big headline that people are looking at. Navigating that world of digital art or crypto art, there's the same principles as navigating the actual art, knowing what you're looking at, knowing who the artist is, understanding what the value of that artist can be over time. There's so much out there. I mean, you know, I've myself started collecting NFTs and buying, you know, Ethereum because that's the currency that NFTs are, are bought with. Uh, you can buy them with USD, but on most platforms, they're bought with Ethereum, the cryptocurrency. And so, you know, going through that whole process, even as someone who's very knowledgeable on the issue, it took me some time to understand everything and to see what artists were, were worth the investment, what others are not. The aesthetic portion of it is kind of taken away for a lot of things because uh, the whole value of the NFT is in the actual token and not the image. Right. So the only, the image can be pleasing, but you can have the image without owning the NFT. So that part of it is a bit abstract and you have to understand it. And then it really is just getting rid of guidance. I think they can very much coexist and I hope they coexist. I think that what the NFTs are trying to achieve, which is a bit of the democratization of, of the art world, you know, putting the artist in the forefront of the art world. With NFTs, artists are entitled to royalties every time the work resales, which is a, a great addition to, to, to what the art world should be in general. There's an NFT craze now, and I think when the dust settles, it's interesting to see which NFT artists are still here 
and how traditional art dealers like myself can do to bridge the gap between the crypto fully digital art market and what we're doing now. And that's, you know, that's what we want to do at Candid House is start offering NFTs to people who collect real tangible art and bring people who are only collecting, you know, tangible art to go and, and look at cryptocurrency and crypto art and, you know, how that can be part of their portfolio. Do you think that the recent NFT craze is a bubble? It's, it's a yes and no answer. And, and I'll explain both yes and the no. But I think yes, in the sense that it's very hard to understand for someone who, who isn't completely fluent in that language. It's very hard to understand why someone is ready to spend 70 million on the on an NFT, which is what happened last week in, in the auction, you know, for, for a very traditional collector to understand, you know, why someone bought an NFT at 70 million compared to, you know, I mean, for 70 million, you know, the number of artworks you can have by world leading artists. I mean, we're talking Picasso, Warhol, I mean, you could have like really amazing artworks and someone decides to put that money in NFT, you know, it's, it's a big deal. So there's the bubble created by that. But at the same time, I think NFTs will, will stay. I think they're, they are a part of the future of the art world. They're not the future of the art world, but they're a part of it. You know, again, there's, there's a big storm right now around the NFTs. It's definitely something that it's good to get fluent in. It's a good thing to be curious about because I think in general, cryptocurrency is going to uh, start bridging a lot of different markets. I think crypto in general is going to be part of our everyday life more and more in, in a lot of different aspects of our lives. Right now, it's on the art market that it's really focused on. And the fastest you get kind of used to that being part of our ecosystem, the better. Do you need to pay the inflated costs of owning an NFT today? Perhaps not. Perhaps this is the time to really understand what it is, really look at artists that you like in the NFT field, and, and keep looking out for something that you might be able to acquire someday. You know, right now, you have some NFT artists that that if, you know, an NFT artist is someone who creates a, an image in the software and creates an NFT through one of those platforms that sell NFT. So being an NFT artist is you, Kelvin, can tomorrow decide you want to make an NFT. And by the end of the weekend, you will have done your NFT and you will have listed it. There is no price regulation. So you, Kelvin, can decide that your NFT, because you spent three days doing it, is worth $50,000. Whoever is ready to buy $50,000 for that specific NFT that you, Kelvin, did, that's the worth of it. Is that going to be worth the same tomorrow when everyone kind of forgets about Kelvin? We don't know. Is everyone going to get excited that Kelvin is the next big NFT artist and all of a sudden that can go, you know, times 10, times 1,000, and all of a sudden it's worth $5 million? Maybe. Very possible. Both are true and none are very predictable. So it's just... Again, it's just trying to understand which NFT artists have been there for a while, have really owned in what it is to be an NFT artist, and really are committed to being an NFT artist for, for the right reasons. And you don't need to go to art school to be an NFT artist or a crypto artist. You know, it's, it's a whole different thing. So I think, like everything, there's a, there's a big craze for it right now. And there's going to be a settling period where we will see the NFT artists that matter. And we will see the real value of NFTs. I kind of want to go back to the value of NFTs. Wouldn't you say that the value of the piece of NFT digital artwork is derived based on how famous the creator is? 
for example, if you're a celebrity, if you're a sports star and you decide to put your artwork on the digital asset, literally on blockchain, technically you could sell it for millions of dollars. If you're a nobody who is not well known, you, you probably wouldn't be able to sell anything at all. And that sort of applies to investing or if you're an, an art seller, let's say if you're Van Gogh or you're Picasso, because you've been a very famous person, an influential person, you get to decide the value or the value is justified because you're a celebrity or you're a famous person. Do you see the same with buying and selling NFTs? I mean, that's true for anything. You are Jay-Z and you're selling your house tomorrow. People are going to pay triple the price of that actual house just to be in Jay-Z's house, right? I think, you know, a brand gets advertising, you know, if you're a t-shirt brand and all of a sudden David Beckham, where is your brand? You know, everyone's going to go buy that t-shirt, not because that t-shirt is better than anyone else, but just because David Beckham is wearing it. And I think, you know, that's, it's true for everything. I mean, if, you know, if a celebrity tomorrow or even if a celebrity artist tomorrow goes and, and creates an NFT, Yes, of course, it'll be more popular or, or more desired, but that's not any different than any other industry out there. To me, you know, it's, it, I'm, I'm going to go on another tangent because I think it's, it's important to understand. NFTs right now, the value of NFTs is a bit like, it's a bit like an auction where, you know, tomorrow I got, you know, a very good example actually is my, when I was applying to grad school and I, I get interviewed by by one of the teachers at the grad school and they uh, they give me a list of artworks to study for the interview and i look at one of these artists that was in there and you know most of their artworks were sold for between 20 to 40k and last week the week before my interview one work sold for four million and i was trying to understand when i was a young learning wannabe art dealer how does it work with estimates of 20 to 40k which usually sells for 20 to 40K, all of a sudden make $4 million at an auction. Why did that specific work, which looks like very similar to all the other works sold before, why is this work worth for me? And you know, his answer was, it was an insider answer because he knew, the, you know, he knew what actually happened. But he said, there were two businessmen that compete daily in their industries. And one really wanted the painting and the other one really wanted for that person not to get it. And so they just bid it out until one person stopped. And it was just, it was, it was an ego thing, right? It was whoever lets it go first. And so, you know, the artwork is, was worth 4 million. Does, does that mean that all the other works from that artist are worth 4 million? Maybe not. And I think that's kind of the answer to your question is, is, is an NFT done by a celebrity worth what it's actually worth? No, I think everyone, you know, it, it's not the absolute value. It's the, it's the, the value in that moment of time for, for someone to buy something by, by someone famous. But it's not the absolute value. And I think whenever, again, when the dust settles, it's not the value of that, that piece of art or that NFT. I want to talk about the returns from investing in physical art as opposed to investing in NFTs. Personally, I don't see much value in investing in NFTs is because I don't get the same enjoyment from owning something that's on a blockchain that I can't physically touch. I can't physically, you know, see it right in front of me. I can't really share it with my friends. I, I could have my own exhibition and I could have that piece of art hanging on a piece of wall and I can share it 
with my friends. But if it's an, an NFT, I think the physical difference in terms of the, the sentimental returns, how do you see that? Do you think that people will get more enjoyment from physically owning a piece of asset as opposed to owning something virtually? Owning and collecting tangible art that you have on the wall is the best thing ever to me. I mean, like I'm sitting during this podcast looking over. I have, you know, works from all the artists that I work with and others, um, historical artists, new contemporary artists around me. And every time that I'm answering one of your questions, I'm looking right or left, I see an artwork and it brings me so much joy. I mean, it really does. And it's not for everybody, but it is, you know, if, if it's something that you enjoy, it empowers your home in ways that, you know, even if you're doing for financial gains and you don't get into, you know, the aesthetics of it per se, but just having art around you is such a, such a beautiful thing. It's sometimes it's history, sometimes it's culture, sometimes it's just pure raw talent. Like you have a young artist and he's doing incredible things with a new technique and you want to be part of it. You want to have it, you want to encourage him. You want to have it on your wall. You know, you want to have it on your table if it's a sculpture. You want to have it framed on your wall if it's a painting, a drawing, or a print. I mean, there's. thank you for asking that question because it brings me to something that I think is very important. And I really want to get through it through that podcast is I read a book called The Value of Art by Michael Finley. The Value of Art. There's three values of art according to Michael Finley. And I fully back it. There's the emotional value of art. So there's the value that you get when you wake up in the morning, you get into your bedroom, your living room, you have your coffee in hand, and you look at your wall. And you feel really empowered by looking at this one image. It's, it's empowering you. It's, it's shooting adrenaline through, through your blood. It's just making you happy to have it. That's the number one value. It makes you happy to own the work. The second value is the social value. So it's, it's kind of the luxury aspect. Of it. It's you have an art collection, like you have a nice car, like you have a nice watch. Like it, it is a collectible. It is something that you're so glad to have on your wall and you invite your family over. You invite your friends over and they see it at your home. And, you know, there is some cultures that see it as some, like the most powerful thing to own is art. And when they invite people over, it's just to show off their art. That's not, you know, it's not always the case, but it is, it is a very big value. And, and historically, you know, the big families in the world, I've always owned art, very, always invested in art because it's always been something that kind of intrinsically or unconsciously, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a power thing, right? You have artworks. It's a cool thing. But the real issue is that, or the real truth is that if you're someone, even with a small envelope of 2,000 or 5,000 pounds or USD, you can own art. You can own really cool art. But it does empower you a bit socially. I think there's that value. And then the third value, which is the one we're talking about, is what you can get out of it. And, you know, I'll take my father as an example. My father was a doctor, nothing to do with art, but he had a passion. My grandma was an art historian. And he was instilled in this, this young age and a passion for art. And without wanting it, he bought some art throughout his life only because he liked it. And he started young and only because he liked it. And today it's helping him through retirement. Things that, you know, there, there is value in his art collection. I think, you know, there's so many examples of people who didn't know they had valuable things in their, in their collection or had valuable things in their wall. Because art appreciates over time when it's done right when you're looking at artists that, that do matter art appreciates over time and, and when you get to have it at home every day you know it's there it's not on the blockchain it's not on you know the cloud it's something that you have control of you look at it every day and you can choose to have that work every day 
and you know that as long as it's on your wall, it's safe. And that's, that's a big thing. So that's why, you know, when you, when we talk about NFTs versus tangible art or traditional art, they will coexist in a way because you're always, you know, you're always going to have people who want to own the art. You're always going to have it in their home. So is there no such thing as bad art? Who that's a big, that's a big philosophical question. I, th- I think art is so, in that sense, it's so subjective. There is, there's always good art. There's not always good investment art. I think there's, you know, art is always positive. It's always good. You have to look at metrics and you have to be a bit selective in art that you are buying for investment. I think it's two different things. I think if, if you go to your, you know, your Sunday fair and you have a local artist, it's doing amazing things, amazing to support him and get a work from him. Is that work? You know, if, if, if you're in a small town and the artist doesn't really have the exposure to become anything more on a price point, you know, you at least supported a great artist and, and you get the enjoyment. If you're buying for investment, then it's a, it's a different conversation. I want to share with you a study. There's a graph published on Masterworks website. For those who don't know what Masterworks is, it is essentially an online platform where you can buy and sell shares of paintings. The graph which I'm referring to shows the contemporary art market performance from 1995 to 2020. And the graph was referenced from the City Global Art Market data in 2020, showing that the annual appreciation for fine art is about 13.6%, whereas the S&P 500 annualized returns is only 8.9%, inclusive of dividend returns. It's so crazy to think that investing in contemporary art could give investors a more attractive yield, but I think we need to look into the disclosures of how the data is calculated. So it's so crazy to think that actually investing in art could give you a better returns from a financial perspective. And I think a lot of people might have overlooked that. You know, I think maybe for numerous reasons, for example, liquidity or maybe storage costs or associated management fees put off a lot of retail investors looking into this industry. So I was just thinking, would you see in the coming years more art businesses becoming even more profitable and even thinking of getting IPO'd? What are your thoughts of in terms of the outlook of the art business industry? I mean, Kevin, that's why we're here, right? That's why we're doing this podcast. That's why you know I'm doing what I do every day. Is, is, is the more people you educate on how great of, of an investment, how great of an asset, how great of some art collectible art is, and how all those different things that it brings you, you know, the joy, the social, the financial returns over time, you know, it's only it's definitely going to scale. It's definitely going to scale. And for me, it's, you know, my mission is for everyone that I know to get into it, right? Is I won't stop until everyone I know, you know, gets at least curious and looks into it and decides if it's for them or not for them. But art collecting, art placement, or art financial placement, art investing will definitely become something a bit bigger. You know, it's going to scale. It's going to, you know, I think people are getting more and more curious about things. I think COVID really weirdly helped people realize that tangible things, things that empower their home every day, things that they can look at while they're working from home, you know, the value of that is not only an asset that's growing in value every month, but something that's bringing them so much as well. You know, that's it's, it's almost uncomparable to any asset. Uh, and, and the returns you talk about or, or Masterworks talks about, again, like well-created, well well-selected works of art by 
but successful artists are, or even emerging contemporary artists aren't doing successful things, has the potential to have returns that very few assets in, out there is doing. And it's, it doesn't mean that every artist you're going to buy is going to get you 50% or 100% or 200% or 300% return. It doesn't. Like sometimes you're going to get an artist, you know, and he, his career never, never blows up. It's up to you to decide whether the cost of, of art, or, you know, the investment in an artist was worth what you got for it, you know, as, as an enjoyment. And if you're happy to see that, uh, if it's not, then there are possibilities to, to sell and to use that money for something else. Or, you know, like I said earlier, there's ways to, to use your collection as leverage for investment to get a loan to invest in other things. And there's so many aspects of art collecting. It is not an expense. It's, it's an investment. However you look at it, even if it's not for the returns, it is still an asset. And so, yeah, I think, you know, the more people are educated on that, and I think it will, I think, you know, the education of, of, of people on that subject is, and the curiosity of people on that subject is increasing, the more, the more you'll get it. And so intrinsically, you know, the more art businesses will, will exist. In terms of the, you know, the financial and the IPO, you know, the public investment of it, you know, it, it's a very technical question. I think so. I think it, uh, I think it will, it can only uh, grow. Uh, as as an industry, you know, masterworks. To, just to kind of give your audience an idea, is is a different business model. You know, masterworks sells shares in paintings. So, what masterworks does is they buy a blue chip artist, which is already in my mind is already, when you talk about blue chip artists, you talk about an artist that already is fully recognized. I mean, he's already at the peak of its market. So when you buy an artist at that, you know, your potential returns are lower than an emerging artist or someone that's at the beginning of their career. So Masterworks sell, you know, they buy a Picasso painting for 30 million, hoping to sell the work in, in five years for 35 million. So when you think about it, of course, 5 million returns is huge. But when you get a share of that, so let's say, you know, make it really, 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 really simple. Work is worth 1 million, right? And you buy you know, you buy 10,000 of them. So you get, you get 1% of the artwork. 10,000 is already an investment, you know, for, for the average investor. It's, so it's a big thing. So they get 1% of the artwork. If it does, you know, if they sell for 1.2, which in five years, 200K is a good return. You know, 20% return is good five years. You know, the person gets 2,000, right? That's not that much when you think of if you had bought three emerging artists, at 3.3, right? And one of them goes really, like his career does really well. And all of a sudden that, that artist is worth 100K on his own. You know what I mean? The, the returns is, is so much uh, more when you invest in the actual work and you own the actual work yourself rather than investing in, in, in things that are already blue chipped, already at the peak of their, their market. It's a completely different thing. But owning a share in something is, is, is like then you're just investing in the stock market with the return potential of, of a low risk investment rather than the amazing you know, investment opportunities that I think you can get in art where you, know, you, you do get in early and you end up at least doubling, tripling or more your investment. Again, it doesn't happen with every artist, it doesn't happen with, with every art collection, but the potential is there. When you limit yourself to buying a share of an artwork that you never own, that you never have in your apartment, so you already take out the emotional value of it and you then take out the social value of it. So all you have is the financial value of it. 
but you don't even own the work and you're not the other person, the only person. You might not even be the most invested person. You know, it takes out a lot of the great things that, that the art world can offer you. I just want to thank you so much for your time here. This episode has been a blast and I've learned a lot about the art world and how there's an opportunity for people, you know, something that's worth their time and worth their, their sentimental value. So I, I want to thank you again for doing this podcast episode with me. How can my community in Asia and across the world find more or reach out to you for more information? Delvin, it's been such, such a pleasure. They can reach out to me on my email, which is Raphael, R-A-P-H-A-E-L, at candidhouse.art. So that's C-A-N-D-I-H-O-U-S-E dot art, candidhouse.art. You can also register your interest. I launched a page for the future website that's coming out. So that's candidhouse.info, candidhouse.info. And you can register your interest and even register for a complimentary consultation and we can talk about our investing or art collecting in general um, any questions that your community might have about digital crypto nfts that we've been talking about um, traditional tangible artworks um, owning them where to look just happy to help out and get everyone just really excited about you know looking at art as a as, as something to get in you know early in your investment career as well you know owning art is is, is a fantastic privilege but that we all have it's accessible for everybody there's no barriers. There's no budget. It just takes the, the curiosity and a bit of guidance, like everything else, a bit of education and guidance. But yeah, and it'd be my, my, you know, my absolute pleasure and honor to, to help out anyone. Thank you, Raphael. I hope to have you sometime soon again to talk about investing in art. So I wish you all the best and take care. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thanks for having me and thank you for listeners. The views and opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect the official position of the speakers in this podcast. Any content provided by guest speakers are of their opinion and are not intended to represent or malign any institutions, religion, or group. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not your financial advisors. If you like this podcast, please follow us at our Instagram page at mmarketgoliath for new updates to our next episode. 